Our scripture reading today is Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Kids preschool through sixth grade may be dismissed to the meadow at this time. Well, I got to say... That's the best-looking scripture reader I've ever seen. Well, my name is Jeff Harding, and that scripture reader was my wife, Faith. And uh, today is the last Sunday for our family here at Trinity. Uh, I've served here as a youth minister for nine and a half years. Um, It's been a pleasure. While that is sad to note, it does mean one thing. I can say whatever I want. Now is my chance to tell you what really happens during staff meetings and leadership retreats. Okay, okay, I won't divulge too many secrets. I'll just say this. If you think you're good at Texas Hold'em, then you clearly haven't played the legendary Laverne Lowdown Simon. I'm just saying, look out for Lowdown. But in all sincerity, it's truly been an honor and a blessing to serve here at Trinity. Our family loves and appreciates you all very much. Well, believe it or not, we are already in the third Sunday of Advent. In the second half of Advent now, we have covered the themes of hope and peace. And for this morning and this week, the theme is joy. Settle down. I can see you're really excited. Calm down. Calm down. Well, I've heard several fantastic sermons on joy from this pulpit over the years. Please don't compare this one to those. You'd probably be disappointed. But whenever we hear a sermon on joy or a discussion on joy in the biblical context, it's usually trying to answer the question of what. What is joy? How do you define joy? How is it different from happiness? Where do you cross the line that brings you into joy? Well, we'll talk about that 
but we're also going to ask two other primary questions about joy that I think will expound on and help answer what it truly is. But first, please join me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy that we have in your midst that we can sing about this morning when there are others uh, in our own nation suffering from fallout from storms and others around the world who are hurting. And we pray that your word would be spoken this morning through this fallen vessel to bless our ears and our hearts with your presence and word. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing Faith and I have certainly experienced in abundance since being gifted with our baby boy Deacon, who's homesick this morning, by the way, so he's home with Honey and Granby. Hey, buddy. Uh, is joy. No doubt many of you have seen pictures that Faith or I have posted on social media. Um, but there's one picture that I think might be his best. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think too many people have seen it. Uh, so if you think you've seen Deacon's amazing smile, uh, you're going to be blown away at this one. You ready? Here we go. Isn't it something to behold? This was taken at Picture Day at Jubilee Junction last year, our Mother's Day Out program here at the church. Um, it reminds me of the heartwarming memory of when we fed Deacon tater tots. And they were uh, just a bunch of breaded pieces of broccoli. Hashtag parenting. Well, surely this picture does not encapsulate joy, right? Isn't joy supposed to be this grand feeling that surpasses happiness? You only have joy no matter what the circumstance, no matter what else is happening. Well, it's the season of joy. We sang about joy, we see commercials, we see Hobby Lobby displays, tells us it's a season of joy, right? So you tell me, shouldn't we all be busting at the seams right now with joy? As I mentioned in the intro, this definition question is the one that's most often addressed when it comes to joy. So let's start there. What is joy? First and foremost, joy is from God, as we just heard read. Uh, David says in Psalm 4, you have put more joy in my heart. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, derived from the very essence and presence of God, used through us, literally and spiritually, to fulfill his purpose and plan. Elsewhere in the Psalms and from the prophet Isaiah, we see that joy is promised to the saints, prepared for the saints, enjoined to the saints. Psalm 16 says the only place we find fullness of joy is in God's presence. And in Psalm 43, the psalmist gives the Lord that distinction. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. So you see, joy is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's the result of God, and it's not merely an emotion but the very reality of who God is. For us to pick up on and recognize reality is to have a proper perspective, an accurate evaluation of how things are and how things should be. Now, happiness, too, is a gift. It's part of the tapestry of how we were made in God's image. 
Emotions of feelings were given to us before the fall. Emotions of feelings in and of themselves are not evil and corrupt. The fall affected how we certainly react and use those feelings and emotions, but God is a God of feeling and emotion. We feel as God feels. But happiness is not in the same league or on the same plane as joy. Ultimately, happiness is a chemical reaction. Joy, ultimately, is the reality, presence, and essence of the triune God. So we have the what? The next question we're going to ask of joy is why? Why joy? What is it for, practically speaking? We'll turn in your Bibles to James 1. We're going to spend uh, some time discovering and thinking about the complex, frustrating reasons why we need joy in this world, where we are currently celebrating the first arrival of Jesus and longingly awaiting his second and future arrival. After the first verse, identifying himself and his audience in James, he opens his letter with these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Say, what? That's not a misprint. There's no apology or redaction given later. Read it again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. At the first glance, the statement seems ignorant at best, and at worst, pretty insulting. If a stranger on a plane or on the dart rail told you about something terrible going on in their lives, and your immediate response is that all you're hearing is joy, their immediate response to you probably wouldn't be too kind. How about trials of your own? Most of us have examples in our lives and stories of hardship where now that we're past them, now that we're out of them, looking back at them, we can say, okay, I see lessons about what God could have been showing me. That's not really what James is saying here. It's probably included, but what he's saying is, as you read that verse, he's saying, as you are meeting those trials, you should count them as joy. All of it. Now, this is where definitions and context really come into play and are important, because when you read this scripture or any scripture, you can jump to conclusions. You need to be able to look at what God is actually saying here. Before we revisit the definitions, let's finish the statement to get the context. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Ah, great. So God just wants me to take a beating again and again, like a runner training for a marathon, to have endurance for a lifetime of trials and suffering. Woo! Anyone feeling joyful yet? When I was up in St. Louis recently uh, looking for a house for our family and meeting with my future team at Calvary Church, I stayed with the youth pastor and his wife. Back when COVID started, uh, Matt started running every day in his neighborhood and then farther and farther, and he just kept it up. He's been running ever since. He is now training for what are referred to as ultimate running events, and he is currently training to run a 50K. My legs almost gave out just saying that. That is just over 33 miles, seven miles longer than a marathon. 
I mean, I ran myself in high school, but if given the chance to run 50 kilometers or do 50 belly flops, I'm probably going to choose the belly flops. Better yet, do like I've done the last several summers here and make teenagers do belly flops for a plastic gold medal. That's where it's at. That's the sweet spot. But let's revisit definitions now that we have the context before we jump to conclusions. First of all, joy. Remember, joy is the reality of who God is. It's a recognition of reality. It's not merely a rush of dopamine and endorphins. It's being aware of what we have, what we see, and who God is that makes it all possible. One of our church values is joy in suffering. Time and time again, I have seen this church body step up to serve others so well. A beautiful picture of the Taylor family is on that banner in the narthex. Whether it's a tough diagnosis, whether it's someone losing a job, someone losing a loved one, a family being isolated and trapped in their own home with endless COVID quarantines, even people who show up to our church door making poor decisions that have got them to a place of need, our church body has stepped up over and over to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's beautiful. But does joy and suffering mean that trials shouldn't incite sadness, despair, anger? By no means. Faith just read from Psalms and, uh, that David wrote in Psalm 4, and Paul quotes this later in his letter to Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. We all have the problem with that last part. But the actual statement The actual plea, command, if you will, depending on how you read that, is be angry. We can be angry. Jesus was certainly angry, but we'll get back to that. The trial itself we are in, that we find ourselves in as we meet them, the trial itself is not good. The trial is a reminder that we live in a broken world. Things are not yet as they should be. We do not have shalom. We do not have completeness. God would never call sin good or tell us to call sin good. To simply ignore our feelings of sadness, rage, despair, frustration in the midst of something terrible and just say, oh joy, is to ignore literally and biologically how God created us. Can all my counselor friends say amen? So what is the Spirit through James saying here? Remember, definitions. Let's look at that first word, count, count. The first and most prominent definition of this word in Greek might surprise you. It's actually to lead. It's used in other places as count, counting, regarding, but primarily it's used as lead, leader, governor, ruler. And the root of this Greek word not only still means to lead, but also to bring or to carry. Picture that here in this passage of Scripture. Think about how God uses broken, hurting people to serve, minister to, and encourage broken, hurting people. Now think about who it is that never leaves us. Who, at times, undoubtedly, has carried us. The trial itself is not good, but you being in the trial affords you a presence with God 
that is unique and powerful. An intimacy with him, the reality of his presence, which in and of itself is joy. In the lowest times ultimately caused by human suffering, God lovingly chooses to work in the midst of that hardship to bring us into his presence. He blesses us with strength in our weariness, with hope in our despair. But yes, you can and will still experience sadness, frustration, anger, and that does not eliminate joy. It might seem strange to think of tears as a blessing. But when we doubt how God can work through and redeem us in hardship and reflect his joy and presence for our good and his glory in our suffering, let us not forget that the resurrected, eternal body of Jesus Christ, glorified in his perfection, still bears the scars of suffering. It's not for nothing. Which means in this temporal life, as we await the second advent, we must also realize that joy does not eliminate suffering. If you hear anyone, especially someone who claims to speak in the name of Jesus, tell you that your suffering is just a lack of faith. They are not preaching the presence and expectation of the Christian life that God clearly lays out in his word. They are giving people who are afraid with frantic and itchy ears something to hear. We absolutely have more than we can handle in our life. It's proof that we need a Savior. We heard it said so well by Pastor Mike last week regarding peace, and also in the verse that Glenna read before prayer. In the upper room, the last thing Jesus says before he prays for his disciples and they go out to the Mount of Olives, in me you will find peace, you will have peace. Next sentence, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have suffering. It's so important for us to understand that light Dispelling the darkness, light eradicating the darkness, is not the same as light denying the darkness or light ignoring the darkness. For there to be a showdown, for there to be a victor, there has to be recognition of two opposing forces. There has to be recognition of the one that ultimately loses. Until all is made new, the ripple effects of the fall remain here, and the result is death. We do not yet have shalom, and our enemy is not flesh and blood. And God doesn't want us to look ahead and just try and muster up optimism for trial after trial. He wants us to rest in him, to remember that we can't conjure up hope, peace, love, sorry, hope, peace, joy, or salvation on our own. Any result is just a cheap fabrication of the original and ultimately unfulfilling. All of these things that we reflect on during Advent come from, depend on, and are present with God. So if we live in a fallen world, filled with people made in God's image, but a fallen world nonetheless, then we can't use anything in this world to escape it. But what we do have from the Lord, we have current access to, eternal access to, and what God gives is not just meant for one but for all. If God uses the weak to shame the strong and the foolish to shame the wise, as Scripture says, if his power is made perfect in our weakness, as Scripture says, and if, as James continues 
in James chapter 1, we should let steadfastness have its full effect so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That what might irritate us regarding comfort or disqualify us in some regard with status might actually educate and qualify us to be used well by God. What if the reason that you want to flee a room in shame or despair is the very reason God put you in that room in the first place? For your good and his glory. And what do you give the people in that room in your life? Why do you give it to them? For the best and most complete understanding of those questions, we don't give people a what. We don't give them a why. We give them who. We are led to Jesus, the root of all joy. If joy is the proper perspective and understanding of who God is, and the why is to bring people into that as we encourage them, then we must logically and fundamentally give people Jesus. What truer or better perspective of reality is there than the gospel truth? When people living in fear could only focus on the devil, who Peter says prowls around like a hungry lion, we need to have them meet the lion of Judah. I mentioned earlier that God is a God who feels, and we were created to feel. Jesus demonstrated feelings in their full range. But when we give people Jesus, we can't just give them the angry Jesus I mentioned earlier, who turned over tables in the temple. We need to, we need to, we need to tell ourselves that when we speak as Christians on social media, or to anyone, anywhere, in any context. We can't give people a persona or a convenient cherry-picked version of Jesus. Many know I keep telling all these people that don't agree with me. Oh, sorry. I mean that are outright and categorically wrong. That I can carefully craft. Oh, I mean show them the obvious and blatant proof because of these handful of words that Jesus said in some kind of situation. I don't know why they're not picking up joy. It must be on them. We need the whole Jesus. We need the entirety of Jesus. His character. His purpose. The Jews believed that the Messiah would deliver them from governmental oppression and reestablish them in a time similar to the reign of King David before David's egregious sins. But the Messiah came as a fragile baby in lieu of a white horse. Still being fully God, he humbled himself so he could grow as fully man in wisdom and stature instead of towering over others with arrogant pride and condemning them as mindless, sinful fools. And he didn't seek to establish a single godly, earthly government established by human effort based on us, people made in God's image, undeserving of God's grace, versus them, other people made in God's image, undeserving of God's grace. He came to declare the heavenly, eternal kingdom of God at hand, not brought forth or created or sustained by us, but advanced by the very will of our Creator. To help us see that being political doesn't mean just resorting to being partisan, but as as citizens of heaven, to take those kingdom principles and to go and help others made in God's image to flourish, to help them when they have need, to clothe them when they are naked, to give them food and water when they are hungry and thirsty. Yes, all of those things physically. But brothers and sisters, if we just give people H2O and we don't introduce them to the fountain of life, 
we are not sharing the joy that we have. So what is the practical approach, attitude, perspective, fruit that we can offer people, including ourselves, who are seeking the true meaning and essence of things we celebrate during Advent in the midst of their suffering? It's what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds that holy night. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. If you have trusted in the hope of our salvation, Jesus Christ, then you have the gospel, good news, of Jesus Christ, great joy, to share with all people. Give them the entire gospel, all of Jesus. If you have not yet trusted Christ and Christ alone for salvation, please come find me, come find a staff member, a pastor, anyone sitting around you. We would love nothing more than to share with you why followers of Christ every Christmas can sing with affirmation, joy to the world. Give people joy, Trinity Fellowship Church. Give them Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we find joy in your presence, but the distractions, hardship, brokenness caused by sin surrounds us, and we can't help but have despair, and to let that despair sink to hopelessness. We question whether you're even present, and if you're present, if you even care. I pray that you would remind us in your presence the very essence of joy and being present with us through your spirit sealed within us, through your creation around us, through people made in God's image who even stained with sin and brokenness still reflect the beauty of what is and can be when recognized in the perspective of who you are and how we get to be with you forever through Christ and Christ alone. Pray that you would send people to us to pick us up when we fall, to cry with us when we are weeping, to celebrate with us when we are celebrating, and to just represent the authentic, pure, non-man-made, only from the Lord joy, that you would give it in abundance in your mercy and grace, which you choose to do so lovingly, not because we deserve it. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand.